This is Curl Up with a Cat Tale, and I'm Gwen Cooper, the New York Times bestselling author of numerous cat-centric titles, including Homer's Odyssey, A Fearless Feline Tale, or How I Learned About Love and Life with a Blind Wonder Cat, Spray Anything, More True Tales of Homer and the Gang, and The Book of Possum, Head Bonks, Raspy Tongues, and 101 Reasons Why Cats Make Us So, So Happy. We're here to celebrate all things feline and to tell inspirational cat tales. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome to an all-new episode of Curl Up with a Cat Tale with Gwen Cooper. I am, of course, Gwen Cooper, your host, and delighted, as always, to be here with you today. Just a quick reminder that this is actually, I'm sorry, next week is going to be the last podcast that I will be doing for two weeks until sometime around, I guess, February 28th. And that is because Lawrence and I are going away for two weeks. We are going to be going to Egypt, Jordan, and Israel to celebrate Lawrence's 60th birthday. Uh, I suppose I should add that uh, we will be going to Israel, assuming it is safe enough to go there, which, given the events of the last few days, is is look is a question that is increasingly in doubt. I guess I'm not really sure how that is going to work. You know, we have trip insurance, um, so I, you know, I don't know. I, I can't even think about it right the second it is, and obviously developing and unfolding situation. But it is something we are keeping our eyes on. But anyway, we are going to be in the Middle East for two weeks, and I think this is the last trip we'll be taking for a while. You know, we have taken four trips, three of which have been, at least for me, 10 days or longer um, since May of last year. And of course, this followed uh, a couple of years of of not traveling at all due to the pandemic. And I do love to travel, um, but I increasingly hate leaving the cats. And part of that, obviously, is, I mean, I miss them. I, I really do miss them terribly. And during the pandemic, and certainly this is a lot more travel than we typically used to do within such a short period of time. Um, I mean, taking these kind of, and and this is also, this is just sort of developed, I mean, not just as a response to the pandemic and all the time when we couldn't travel, things have just kind of developed um, almost coincidentally. You know, the first trip that we took was we we took a a chunky 10-day beach vacation because we had not been able to travel for a couple of years and and we had spent two years just in our house with with just each other and and so we were looking to get away. Um, the second long trip that was my Greece and Albania trip and that was in October and Lawrence came with me to Greece and then returned home before I continued on to Albania for a couple of weeks and that was more because I I had an opportunity to lead this retreat but also to help raise money for animal rescue in a part of the world where animal rescue is really desperately needed. And I'm actually glad that I was there and was able to see in person how much the the efforts of the organization that I was supporting are are sorely needed in that particular part of the world. And then this is Lawrence has a, a milestone birthday coming up. He is turning 60. Uh, this is a, a trip we have wanted to take for a long time. And, and of course, that at a certain point, you have to take into consideration the fact that you're getting to an age where travel 
is not going to be easy or realistic indefinitely. And, you know, at, at my back, I always hear time's winged chariot drawing near, et cetera, et cetera. Not, not to get too morbid so early for me on a Sunday morning when I'm recording this. So that, that is the deal. And, and so it's sort of a, a confluence of a particular events. I, I don't see us taking these kind of long trips multiple times within one calendar year on a regular basis from now on. Uh, but I will also say that we, we all became, you might, my cats are very social cats. They're very people oriented cats, particularly Clayton, who is very, very people oriented. And again, really during the pandemic, he got very used to us always, always being here. You know, we were not even going out for, for meals with friends or, or doing any of the, you know, going into the city for the day just to kind of tool around and do nothing in particular. We were home all the time. And he got very used to that. And Clayton is a cat who needs a lot of attention. He was always that way, but he has definitely become more so since the onset of COVID-19. And I, I really don't think I've ever lived with an animal, including the dogs who I grew up with, who just needed so much attention all the time. You know, I really thought when I lived with with Homer, um, I, I thought that was about as as physically attached to me that it was possible for an animal to be because Homer really just wanted to be with me all the time when I was in the house. He he if I was sitting on the couch, he wanted to be sitting next to me on the couch. If I was in bed, he wanted to be in bed with me. Um, and when I was eating, he was either sitting on the table or I'm <laughs> perhaps embarrassed perhaps not to share with you this particular audience. But yes, uh, Homer would frequently be on the table while we were dining, especially after we moved in with Lawrence, who had the unfortunate tendency of feeding the cats from the table, which was something I never condoned and certainly never did of my own volition when I was living alone. Although uh, that was a long time ago, and, and we have certainly turned a corner on that one that I don't think we ever we're going to we're never going to turn the clock back on that i think clayton is now a regular fixture on the table when we eat and it's very embarrassing when people come over to dine with us because i have to act like oh my god what is he doing we we never let clayton say clayton get down you know better than that it's so embarrassing that he would do this in front of company um you know, we, we we try to pretend or I try to pretend for the sake of maintaining some sort of, of pride or sense of decorum that this is not something that goes on all the time. But it totally, totally is. Clayton is just on the table while we're eating. He's a part of every meal. He's a part of everything that happens in this house. Um, and when I say that Clayton needs attention, I don't just mean that he wants to be with me or near me all the time. I will say as a for example, you know, I'll be sitting on the couch watching TV and, and I'll have a cushion in my lap uh, because it's Clayton likes to sit or lie on the cushion on my lap. In fairness, because he only has the three legs, it is easier for him to balance. It is not at all because he is a spoiled, pudgy little cat who needs to lie on a silk cushion covered cushion on top of his mistress's lap <laughs> at all times. Um, heaven forfend. But he will sit, so he'll be, I'll have the cushion in my lap, and Clayton will be sitting on his haunches, or, or perhaps I should say haunch, since he only has the one hind leg. And he'll be sitting on his haunch, 
on top of the cushion in my lap and I will be petting him while watching TV. But this is not even this is not enough attention for him. And he will pat my face with his front paw because he doesn't want me looking at the television. He wants me looking at him. So it's not enough that he is in my lap directly in front of me and that I am petting him, he also wants me to be looking at him. Or if he's lying, his other favorite position is to lie on top of the cushion on his back. He'll be lying in his back and in the crook of one arm while I'm petting him with the other arm. Basically in that kind of baby hold that if you are a watcher of Jackson Galaxy, you will note that Jackson Galaxy frequently says, do not hold a cat like a baby. Cats do not like to be held like babies. And this is 100% true, except... In the case of Clayton, who insists on being held like a baby, it, it is his favorite thing. He loves to lie in the crook of my arm, on his back, on top of a cush- silk cushion, in my lap while I'm watching TV, and I will be petting him. And it, But again, if I'm looking at the TV and not looking down at him, he will reach up with his front paws and grab my face to, to try to force me to look down at him. So the point being that Clayton is a cat who needs a lot of attention. And as much as I love to travel, I really hate leaving the cats. And and even as much as I've always hated leaving my cats when I travel, it is always the one downside of travel. I, you know, cats, it's, it's interesting. I almost feel like they, like certain personality traits really become more intensified as cats get older. The way that Homer, who never liked going to the vet, became more intensely resistant to going to the vet as he got older until by the time he was an old cat, it was literally impossible to get him treated at the vet's office. And the same seems to the same progression as far as needing attention seems to have gone become the case with Clayton. Um, and and I don't think just because of of COVID and quarantine and him getting used to us being around so much more, because again, and I've talked about this before, he also has just become increasingly more resentful of any attention that I pay to Lawrence or Fanny, or talking on the phone, if I'm talking to my mom, he's crying in the background. Like, he really, really has become increasingly resentful over the years of any attention that I pay to any living creature or inanimate object, including the television, that is not him. And while I don't think that this is entirely healthy or to be encouraged, I I do... You know, I, I, I'm sure that when I'm not home, he just sleeps. And while he misses us, it's probably not as intense as, as I make it in my head. This will probably be our last trip for a while. Although I, I got to tell you, you know, and I'm sure, again, you hear it in my nose. Uh, this is a, a family trait, the, the sinus issues. I'm not bummed about leaving the weather right here, which is unseasonably warm. And, and I think we are on the, the brink of setting a record for no snow for the longest period of time going without snow in this region. And strange things are are blooming out of season. And so my allergies are just constantly, constantly going crazy. And I, I'm sure you can hear it in my stuffy nose, for which I do apologize. Uh, what can I tell you? I, I do the best that I can. So I'm hoping that a drier climate will will have a positive and beneficial effect. I, I am, of course, returning to my ancestral homeland. So perhaps my nose is is a Middle Eastern nose that will do better in a Middle Eastern climate. 
This is, of course, just a hypothesis, and I will certainly let you know upon my return whether or not it panned out. And on that note, I'm going to take a very short break of about 30 seconds or so, and when I return... I will be answering a reader question. So sit back, relax, get comfortable, and stick around for more Curl Up With a Cattail. for sticking around. And this week's, you know, I, I realized, by the way, before the jump that I, I always say reader question instead of listener question. And I suppose I should not assume it is probably somewhat arrogant of me to assume that everybody who listens to this podcast is also reading my books. And that actually plays into this question because listener Pamela Ellis has written to ask me, you mentioned in your last podcast that your friends and family don't read your books. This seems very weird to me. Doesn't this bother you? And uh, so so thank you, Pamela, for uh, for cutting right to the heart of the matter. A, a, I don't want to say a personal question. I mean, I'm a memoirist. I write about personal things all the time. But um but yes, it, it is a a loaded question, perhaps, but uh, but one that I think is is definitely worth answering. And so let me just say that, um, yeah, you know, my my mother, my sister, uh, most of my friends and acquaintances at this point do not read my books. I will say that um, my sister has never read any of my books or or really I think anything that I've written. Um I, I do have a, a few friends where that is definitely the case. Actually more than a few friends where that is definitely the case. Um my dad also never read anything that I wrote and or, or read any of my books. Uh, my mother has read some but not all. And so, so yes. So let me just back up and and say from the outset, in in defense of everybody, that I made it very clear when I first embarked upon my career as a writer. When when I found out that I was going to be publishing my first book, I, I never wanted to be that kind of writer or or that kind of let's say creative professional. And because there are people who work in music or or theater or the arts in some way who might be in similar positions to me where they they produce some sort of creative work that is intended to be consumed by an audience. And I did not want to be one of those people where my friends and family were afraid to talk to me around the time of of a book publication because I was going to be asking, what did you think of the book? Did you like my book? How did you like my book? What did you think of this part of the book? I, I didn't want it to... I, writers are are by nature needy people. Obviously, we we 
publish things because we want people to read and enjoy them. And then we get very thirsty for reviews and feedback. And and so I, I didn't want to be that I, I didn't want to impose upon people who I cared about. I did not want it to be burdensome to be a friend or relative of mine. And so I made it clear very early on that my only expectation of friends and family was that they buy a copy of the book as a gesture of support. And what they did with that book, whether they read it or put it on a shelf or tossed it instantly into the trash can upon exiting the bookstore Whatever they did with it afterwards, that was their business. I was never going to ask them or question them. I would never interrogate them about what they thought of the book overall or specific parts of it. And and I made that very clear. And perhaps I did so more, more effectively than I intended. Perhaps I did so more – perhaps I, I stuck to or, or made that point – what's the word I'm looking for – more eloquently than I needed to – uh, because it, it does seem that everyone's takeaway has been like, okay, I guess Gwen doesn't want us to read her books, although I'm sure they they don't really think that. Um, so, so in defense of my friends uh, and and family, I, I will first make that point that that I've never had that expectation. I've never demanded of anyone that they read my books, and I will also say that. When my first book was published, it was a very exciting event for all of us. And there was a great big launch party and and I did big readings. I'm going back now to Diary of a South Beach Party Girl. Um, And, you know, now I mean, and that book came out in 2007 and now it's 2023. So it is nearly 16 years since my first book was published, my first professionally published book. and. And I've published quite a few books since then. And, and so the, the intensity of the excitement is not is inevitably not the same as it was. And that does not just go for friends and family. That goes for me as well. And, and I think especially with the self-published books, there is really, I think, a, a feeling that that no fanfare is is required. And again, I will say that while self-publishing has been incredibly fulfilling for me and I am so happy doing it. I, I really, really do love that, that, you know, I'm 50 years old and I know what I know. And when you are a creative person, when you are in business meetings, you are, you always get talked down to. You are always the child or treated like the child at the grown-ups table. When you are the person who's written the book and you are sitting in your publisher's office with the marketing team and the PR team and and the sales team, you are always treated as as if you don't really belong there with with the grown-ups having their their business conversations and it was always incredibly vexing to me for a, n- a number of reasons not the least of which being that I also was a marketing professional for many years and whatever I I, I don't want to go too far down that road but the point being that you know I'm 50 years old I know what I know I love, I really do love um, self-publishing. I love being in control of everything from beginning to end. I love being the final decision maker. I love getting to work in my own calendar, my own time frame. Um, it is much more fulfilling, but it's it's not as exciting. And and that is, again, the inevitability. There's not a year-long buildup where you're part of a team. You're, you're not going into a bookstore and and seeing it there and going seeing it on the shelf and going up to a salesperson and, and sort of half shyly, half proudly announcing, oh, I, I wrote this book. Do, do you want me to autograph it for your store? 
So th- there is none of that. And and so there may be a feeling among friends and family, again, in fairness to them, that, you know, that now this is just my job, right? And my sister, for health reasons, does not work full time anymore. But when she did, she was in accounting. And it's not like I went to her office and, and said, show me your spreadsheets and, and let me see, take me through what you do every day. People don't really uh, they may talk about specific events or, or you know things that happen at their jobs but nobody expects their friends and family members to be a witness to their jobs let's say and so it, at this point it, it is possible that my writing is kind of put in that same boat like this is my job this is what i do professionally and they do not feel called upon to to witness my my work products, let's say, any more than I would have said to my sister, you know, show me the spreadsheets you've been working on. Or my mother, who is an elementary school teacher, I would not have she would not have expected me to show an interest in seeing the the graded stack of final exams that she produced at the end of the year. So that I, I think that might be part of it. Um Having said that, I I also think that to some extent, people who do not work in, in a creative profession themselves may not realize how big a deal it is to someone who does when they complete something that that uh, that friends and family acknowledge it or or partake in it or read it. Uh, you know, again, I, I have some friends who are in the performing arts. And if they are putting on a show, I, I always go to see that. Or when they, you know, they have um, Patreon accounts and I am a supporter of their Patreon account. I will say for those of you who are part of my Patreon community, there is, and and if you go, you'll see I have somewhere in the vicinity of like 116, 117 patrons um, for whom I am intensely grateful. Only one of those patrons is a quote-unquote ringer, um, and that is Lawrence. Lawrence was my first patron. Uh, mostly I asked him to be a patron because I thought when I when I launched my Patreon page, I thought it would be weird for people to sign up, for someone to sign up seeing that nobody else had signed up yet. So I thought, you know, kind of like in a tip jar where you, you started off with a dollar of your own, I, I figured that people would be more comfortable jumping on board if there was already that dollar in the tip jar, so to speak. So I asked Lawrence to please sign up and to be my first patron, which of course he gladly did. And so many thanks to him. As you can see, I'm, I'm, I'm hemming and hawing, right? I'm, I'm avoiding really answering this question. Uh, the best answer I can give is that yes, sometimes it does bother me. Um, I will again say like certain people, like my sister, who is is very different than I am in many ways, and she is not a reader. She is not really a person who reads books, which is all well and good, but I'm her sister and and she could read a book or, you know, I mean, I write short story collections. She could read a short story. She's not illiterate. She graduated a college graduate. She took English classes. They may not have been her favorite classes, but she took them and she got through them. And it would certainly mean something to me if if one day she said to me, oh, you know, you you said blah, blah, blah in your story, yada, yada, and I thought it was really funny, or I totally remember dad doing that silly thing, or, or whatever it is that, that I'd written about. Um, it, it would mean something to me. Um, you know, my father actually 
was, although he was not a professional writer, it was a a little dream of his to be a writer. And he ended up um, about a, a year or two before his death, he self-published a novel of his own. Although I, I shouldn't say self-published. He went to uh, one of those vanity publishers where you pay someone several thousand dollars to to do that. You know, I, I certainly could have shown him how to do what he wanted to do without him having to pay some, you know, some group of jerks um, a bunch of money to do it for him. But whatever, he he wanted to do this and he did this on his own and, and he wrote it under a pen name and it was a very personal novel. Um, and I did read it. It was a semi-autobiographical novel. Um, I did read it. I know that my sister and my mother did not read it and have not read it. So this is, I guess, not something particular to me within my family. Um, I did let my father know that I had read it and he seemed surprised. And I said, of of course, you're my father and and you published a book. Of of course I read it. Um, That did not go both ways. And, And that was something of a disappointment. There are a lot of things that I admire about my father a lot of things, personality traits that he had that I also have that I am incredibly grateful to have, certainly not the least of which being an, an ambition to write and and a love of books and also a love of animals. And those two things have given, have brought profound joy into my life, even separate and aside from what they have meant to my professional life. But this is definitely a disappointing thing. And look, we we all have the the things our, our parents, if our parents never disappointed us, then we we could never become adults ourselves, I believe. Uh, I, I think part of, of how we grow up and how we decide the kind of people that we want to be is by both the things that our parents do right and also by some of the mistakes or, or they make or some of the disappointing things they do. And so... I was disappointed in this aspect of our father-daughter relationship, which is not to say that I was disappointed in our father-daughter relationship. Uh, Those are are two different statements. And I would say the same thing. You know, my mother has read some of my books, but not all of them. Um, My sister has not read any. And so it's there. And yes, it, it does bother me somewhat. Although, again, I'm always mindful of the fact that you know, you can listen to a song in two minutes. If I were a musician, right, they could listen to some of my songs that I would write. And that's that's very easy. Or if I made movies, you sit on a couch and you watch a movie for two hours and books take more time. They require some more effort. There's always been that I have always felt that to demand of, of people that they read my books, it's like I'm assigning them homework or something, which is not something I would want to do. So and and I guess it in in a way there is a certain amount of passive aggressiveness there. By the way, they they also don't listen to this podcast. So just just so I'm not accused of being completely passive aggressive, where I'm I'm saying things to you that I know they're going to hear without having to say it directly to them. They they will never know that that we had this conversation amongst ourselves, unless one of you tells them, and and I would encourage you to please not do so. Um, sometimes it does feel like, like I'm sitting on this kind of passive aggressive grudge where there's something I would like them to do and it bothers me that they don't do it, but I never say anything to them. But that is really always overridden by the sense that I, I don't want to assign anyone homework. Um, and, and if it's not 
something they wanted to, you know, I didn't read my dad's book because I, I felt obligated to, although I would have felt obligated to, I did it because he was my father and he wrote a book. And so, of course, I would read that book or he wrote a book and published it. Um, if it had stayed a manuscript in his drawer forever, I would probably not have read it out of respect for what would seem like an obvious desire to not have it read. But when somebody publishes something, obviously, they want people to read it. And why would you not read it if you are a friend or loved one of the person who wrote it, even if it takes you a long time, even if you skim through it, even if it's something you're not particularly interested in? I will say that my father's novel could have benefited from a professional editor. It was quite a bit longer than it needed to be. There were some parts that I skimmed through, I cannot lie. Um, but that's okay. I, I still, I, the, the, truly it is the thought and, and the effort that count. So that is about as, on, as honest an answer to that question as I am able to give. But I, I really do want to emphasize here that I I am not Cinderella surrounded by wicked relatives, you know, evil relatives who who do not treat me well. My my fr- I have wonderful friends and and family members um who mean a great deal to me and who do a lot for me. And this is just one particular area where again, I, I have to say in fairness that they are following my lead to a certain extent. I was so concerned at the outset not to make anyone feel burdened by my writerly career aspirations that I probably convinced everyone that I didn't care one way or the other whether or not they read the things that I wrote. And so those of them who are not readers or who don't typically read the kind of fare that I write have continued to to not read the stuff that I have written. Um, so yeah, so, so that is the answer to the question. Again, though, I will say that I would probably feel differently about it if I were not as fortunate as I am to have, I mean, A, to have so many readers and B, to have so many readers who engage with me. I certainly never lack for feedback or input from people who have read the things that I have written. I never have that feeling that I am howling into the void. I think if I did, I would probably lean on friends and relatives a little bit harder to read some of the stuff I've written. Although in that scenario, if the only people really reading it were people who knew me personally, I would probably not be writing in the first place, at least certainly not as a career choice that does not seem sustainable in the long run. Um, But I, I do get wonderful feedback from actual readers, which is all the more wonderful for being genuine and unforced and and nobody writes to tell me that they enjoy a book because they feel obligated to do so um, or or because they think that I'm going to be mad at them if if they don't tell me what they think. They, they don't read it for that reason in the first place. And I know how incredibly lucky I am in that sense because not every writer can count on having much of an audience. And in fact, just to, to give you a little inside baseball, um, you know, fewer than than five percent of all books that are published by traditional publishers ever sell more than a thousand copies. And when you're getting into self-published books, the the numbers are much, much smaller even than that. 
And those are numbers that my self-published books routinely beat by a lot. Um, not to mention my traditionally published books. So my and my my point is not to 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 be all braggy about that, but to say that I I am very extraordinarily lucky to have as many readers as I do, to have as many supportive readers as I do, to have the kind of readers who will seek out a podcast that I do or support me on Patreon um, or buy my books when they come out, which is really the big thing. They, they buy my books and read my books. I, I have an audience. I have readers. I have readers who I have an ongoing conversation with. We we talk to each other, um, both literally and also figuratively, I know the people who are reading each book that I write, they, they this this whole thing is a journey for me that they are a part of it, that they are coming with me on. And it, it I, I don't want to say that that makes up for, let's say, my my sister or my dad or, or my best friend, uh, you know, since I was a kid not reading my books. Um I don't know that that one could ever compensate for the other. If they were the only ones reading my books and I didn't have an, an audience of actual readers, I don't know that the fact that, well, you know, my mom says, <laughs> mom says it's psychologically taught. I, I, I don't know if that would be adequate compensation. And in a world where I, where I had to choose between these two things, I would always take my audience over friends and family reading my books, not, not in a general existential sense. Uh, obviously, my my family and my close friends are the most important people in the world to me. But as far as my work goes, my audience is my my readers, my real readers are are infinitely more important to me than relatives or friends who would be reading the book out of a sense of obligation. Uh, but having said all of that, uh, yes, obviously there is a a part of me that certainly wishes that they didn't see it as an obligation, that it was something that they were excited to do just of their own volition. Um, although, again, I will say in fairness that for the most part, these are people who do not get excited to read anything. They they are not readers. They are not book people. And they also don't work in creative industries. So I, I think they just don't ultimately think of my work as being any different than their own work, which nobody but their bosses and coworkers really has an interest in seeing. So so there you have it. It's it's about as honest an answer as I can give. And like I said, the the good news is that uh, none of the people involved, I think, listen to this podcast. So they will probably never hear what I had to say about them. And uh, yeah, that, that's probably all I, I have to say or should say on that subject. And with that, I am going to sign off until next week. But I do hope you will come back and join me then for another all new episode. And that concludes this episode of Curl Up with a Cattail with Gwen Cooper. Don't forget to invite your feline loving friends to listen to new episodes along with you. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, find out how to get your name and your cat's name included in my next book or leave comments or questions for me to answer in future podcasts, head on over to GwenCooper.com now. Thanks so much for joining me. And don't forget to hug your cat today.